0: Hey, Julian.
1: Hello. I even put on my fancy camera.
0: Oh, it looks great. Yeah. I was totally shown up last week. Somebody joined with like, it looks like a NASA camera, just at like the <laughs> level of detail. Yeah. And I was like, I'm mm-hmm. going with like the MacBook Air camera. You don't so. want to see
1: your own pores. I'm at that age <laughs> where I don't want to see my own pores, right?
0: You know, it yeah. keeps us humble. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, but I have a one of these guys. I know you care a lot about the audio, which is great. And um, so uh, we are joined by a preamp and a, I think a Sennheiser or something, something.
0: Oh my gosh. uh, These are words, I don't know, but they, it sounds good. They are, they are words. (laughs) They're
1: words.
0: (laughs) Julian, I'm so excited to meet you. This is going to be really fun. Your bio is ridiculous. So I'm just going to run down the gamut. It doesn't Um, feel ridiculous
1: over here. So thank you for that. Ridiculous in a good way. Yeah, you yeah. know,
0: there's several uses of that term, and I just want to clarify it. it's the positive way. Okay, yeah. Well, sweet, let's get into it. We've got Julian Smith today, and Julian, today you are the CEO at Practice. You are also a New York Times bestselling author, which we're going to talk about today, and you're based in Montreal.
1: I that's right. Yes, I am.
0: Uh, we've had. Several Canadian, like probably a, a, a higher than average ratio of Canadians to Americans mm-hmm. on this podcast. Okay. So everyone will thank you for for boosting those numbers. So Julian, you've helped to start many companies, including Breather, mm-hmm. uh, which you raised $150 million through a Series D before handing it over to a hired C- CEO. Mm-hmm. You've also coached other CEOs. That's right. Um, and so you've seen a lot on the ground and I'm excited to get into some of those stories today. Those founders have been folks who have been funded by the world's best venture firms. Mm -hmm. Um, so again, I, I imagine those stories are very fun, but today you, you're at practice, um, and practice is a client management software for professional coaching.
1: Yeah. Also manage like all kinds of different like solopreneurs. So like You know, photographers, doulas, like small business owners, businesses of one. Yes. We started with coaches. That's true.
0: Your marketing site, I feel like is a masterclass in a marketing site homepage. So I'm going to add that to your bio as well. What did I miss? Where do we need to fill in?
1: That's good. I will say that the context comes from, uh, like, I didn't, I, you know, I was watching like a panel on outsider artists yesterday.
0: Mm, What's that?
1: Outsider means over there. It means didn't get a master's degree in fine arts, probably. So that's what it means to them. Here, outsider means in tech. I think I consider all freelancers, and I really started in a freelancer type of world. In tech, what it means is like, didn't grow up in in and go to Stanford, doesn't have an engineering degree, like lots of different kind of things like that. I'm definitely the outsider of outsiders. And and so I started my 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 father was a was a career coach. Mm. And so I grew up in that space. And and freelancing was how my father made a living sort of right, like on a contract by contract basis. And so uh, I was very close to the coaching world very early. And that resulted in I think a great deal of empathy for kind of like that that person who's getting started on their own. And so Breather, which was a commercial real estate tech company that grew to 10 cities and hundreds and hundreds of buildings and uh, that allowed anyone to unlock a space with their phone and and use it principally as a meeting room is how it's mostly used. Cool. My first customers were coaches and people hosting pop-up shops and all these different things. And it grew to 10 cities, hundreds of buildings where people could unlock the space with their phone. It was a very powerful kind of thing to be able to help so many people that are getting started and that didn't have the the infrastructure, right? And so practice just tries to do that. We we help businesses, mostly businesses of one today, build the infrastructure so that they don't have to think about it. So I'm, I'm a coach only to a, a few CEOs at any given time, a few founders at any given time. And I do it for a maximum of five clients. And so it kind of puts my my freelancing business on autopilot, which is great. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so if people don't know how to do it, I'm really fascinated by the person who's just getting started. Who's like, you know, starting like a dog training business or who's like mowing lawns for a living or something Mm -hmm. and, and being able to serve them at the closest possible place to where they just had the idea. I love that.
0: And it's such a, when you're in that phase, you're learning, Something new, you're starting something new, and to also pick up a new software to help you manage that business is often a huge lift for folks who are in that space. And so I think that that speaks a lot to just the UX, <laughs> right? Yeah, it, um, it takes a
1: lot of work, you know, to make things simple, precisely for that reason. And I always think about because uh, because we began with coaches, even though we're past that today. Mm-hmm. Um, Coaches are often it's their second career, as well, right? Right. So what that means is is that they're probably older, they're middle aged or older. And I I will never forget like one of my first st- customers. that was a total stranger, and they came in like during like a November or a December where I was like, where is this random person coming from? And his first name is David, and he was in New he was in New Zealand, and he's still a mm-hmm. customer today. And, and and David was like seventy five. I feel like. <laughs> and i was like wow this is amazing so it just i'm i'm so dedicated to this craft of like trying to make things really simple for people yeah and making them really intuitive and and so i guess that the two really connect to one another
0: right and i hadn't thought about how your work at breather and your work at practice were really the foundation was the same right yeah which is just like creating infrastructure for the same user group that often Frankly, is ignored in technical solutions because they're they're businesses of one. And so you've got to be super committed to that, to that user group.
1: That's totally right.
0: So last year I hired my first ever executive coach. Okay. And she mm-hmm. she totally changed the way that I thought about leading and managing and my own professional development. Mm-hmm. It was incredible. And now I recommend it to everybody that I talk to. But I think, especially for CEOs, there's a lot of pressure to just already know.
1: I totally agree.
0: Right. To like be born knowing how to CEO, which is ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so I'd love to hear your take. When is it time for a CEO to pursue an executive coach?
1: I had an executive coach before I was ever a CEO. And my executive coach helped me transition. I wrote a book, Flinch, in two thousand eleven, which remains popular today. I'm really fortunate to be able to say that. And and actually that I'm just seeing the first printed edition, because it was Kindle for a really long time.
0: And I'm seeing the first
1: print edition today. So I'm very oh excited. Yes, congratulations. Yeah. I'm it's going exciting. there like, Yeah, thank you. It's gonna be great. And so I, I wrote that book and I remember feeling like I had more in me that I could get out. Mm-hmm. And at the time I had met an executive coach in like a Silicon Valley type of environment. I was like, oh, and I knew what that was. And this was 2010, 2011 or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I know what this is. And uh, that was, I must have been 30 or something at that time. And so, so I did this early and I had the means to do it because I'd had some successful tech businesses early. And I will say that to have that mirror, even before I started the business was helpful Mm -hmm. because it helped me really crystallize what it is that I wanted to do. And it helped get, get that feedback. I think you're totally right that a person is isolated when they are a CEO. They're learning how to do the job. The people that I do it. Um, with are are funded they're funded usually by a, a round of angel investment or more uh, going from let's say as little as two or three million when they started all the way up to like 50 and more mm. today and and it doesn't really actually really matter what phase they're in right they're always isolated they have to learn on the job right you're you have to be as first see, like no one's going to teach you that in they maybe they try to teach you in an MBA and they give you the fundamentals of and tools if you even do that, which most don't. But even if you did, it, it doesn't teach you the real challenges, the hard thing about hard things, which is what Ben Horowitz would call it, mm. which is the psychology. Like, how do I remain motivated? Oh my God, I can't sleep because I didn't, you know, this client Turned out, and and they're not renewing, and that's a huge deal for my business, right? Or mm-hmm. uh, the business is doing well, but someone is underperforming, but I kind of still believe in them. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, th- that's like a hundred different decisions at any given time that they're making by themselves, and so it's actually remarkable. There's a few people that I know that have been CEOs and exec coaches either at the same time or subsequent to one another. One I can, th- one is me, and another one is uh, Chad Dickerson who was the first CTO at Etsy and then became CEO and then made them public and since then has become an executive coach. And he said that people really like that he was a CEO before. I think people like it that I was a CEO and am one Uh because it means that uh, there's a set of things that are tactical that I can confront. But it also means that I'm challenged by this idea of like, there's a part of me that just wants to be like, well, here's what you got to do. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm using my CEO voice. It's, it's, here's what, here's what you got to do. And actually you should not do that because you should base what you're, you're, how you're engaging with the person as they have all the tools they need to succeed mm. and they have the intelligence to succeed and they have the emotional intelligence to succeed. And you're just sort of like, you're like, like shoveling the snow so that the car can get out, you know?
0: That's an interesting metaphor.
1: I just made it up, but it kind of works.
0: It's good. I like the way your brain works. Um, (laughs) Yeah. For me, it was really the first time in my career where I could talk through a problem with somebody Mm. without worrying about how they were perceiving my ability.
2: Mm, Right. Ah.
0: because when you're in the context of a team there's always that dynamic right, right? whether you're talking yeah. to somebody who manages you or someone who you manage mm-hmm. and even in the context of professional networks right like we maintain I, I totally professional agree. networks because it they're supportive but also it's because that's a pipeline that's a future pipeline of employees <laughs> or yeah. employers yeah. you know mm-hmm. and a coach was the first time that I was like I don't have to I don't have to maintain any sort of um, posture with this person. I can just be kind of totally honest and lay it all out there and see, you know, get a mirror back. So it's really magical. So I don't know. I think when I think about timeline, like when is it appropriate? I always say as soon as possible. But mm-hmm. is, there, is there anybody in your book who's not quite ready for it?
1: Certainly. Certainly that's the case. I think it's more like First of all, is it within the means of the business that you're running or you, right? Mm. And the second one is, is, is it the right person? Because one of the challenges that we face in coaching is that anyone can do it. You should, well, if, if you are getting, if you are getting a coach, maybe you care or you don't. You know, some people who are CEOs know that I've been one and they don't care if I have any certification or I've been through any, anything, right? Mm. But it would be nice if I had some principles behind what I was doing beyond just shooting my mouth off as a, as a CEO.
0: Right, or I read a book about it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. So I, it's, I think it's more like they, they will find like, y'all will find one another. I, I, uh, my coach is a guy called Ed Batista. He's one of the oldest Silicon Valley coaches that there are, that there are. And I introduced Ed to someone recently in my network and he was like, wow, what an incredible, this guy is a surfer. And he said, Santa Cruz to Fino vibe, which is like laid back (laughs) type of energy. And and he was very excited to meet them, but he, he could have met, my buddy could have met like 10, 15 other coaches and not, and not felt that
0: Mm.
1: it has to feel good. And that's actually maybe the job of the coach to make it feel good. Right. To, to be able to, to, we call it some, you might call it like holding space for the person. And mm-hmm. and But that lack of judgment is so important because like when when are you, I don't know about you, but like, you know, you hold a high standard for yourself. Mm-hmm. You're out there in the world. As you said, your network could also be future clients or referrals. Like you kind of want, you can't help but kind of want them to think a certain way about you. And that purity of just holding space for someone. And they're like, I'm just here, you know, <laughs> right. like, like I just, I love that. there are times where I find myself doing a coaching call and I'm cynical about it. And the reason I'm cynical about it is because my father was a coach. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, this is bullshit. It's like a (laughs) part of me, but I also do the work and I also kind of went through the cert to a degree and these other things. And there's times where I'm on a call and I'm like, wow, this is really powerful. And it's not me. I'm just using like a coaching tool that I learned. Mm. Right. And I, I love that I get to kind of like be a witness to that. So I, I have this funny, it, it, nice experience where I get to work on something that is scalable, mm-hmm. which is really exciting to be able to serve hundreds of people. Like just today, 10, 20 customers came in. Isn't that great? Right. Like that's, that, awesome. that's really exciting. Yeah. And at the same time, I get to serve someone in a really deep way. A hundred percent of my time during that hour is dedicated to them. Like, like that's a great combo. Mm. So I, I it feels that the energy needs to be right between the two people. And if that's the case, you know, go find someone. It can feel like you don't know anybody who has a coach maybe, and you feel like it's weird or it's woo woo. And it can be woo woo, Mm
2: -hmm. you know,
1: but it's, I don't know. I, it's, I, I'm happy that it's growing. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: when I had a coach in 2011, when I started, not many people did and now there's this explosion in Silicon Valley of tech coaches. It's like a known thing. And Mm -hmm. so I like that. And I think that it should grow further.
0: Agreed. Co-sign on that. (laughs) It's kind of like therapy where when you're approaching your session, you're like, well, I don't really have anything to talk about. Do I really need a coach? I always tell folks like, Mm -hmm. you will have something to talk about. If it's a good coach, like (laughs) you will have something Mm -hmm. to talk about. Okay, Julian, your two other loves, Mm -hmm. building and leading companies and writing this book. Talk to me about the Venn diagram of those two things like what's similar when it comes to building a company and writing a book, what's different? Like talk to me about your experience.
1: So I wrote, I wrote three books. I've oh, probably at some I, point. I didn't
0: realize you wrote three. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. Gosh. I was, I was
1: like more stating for the audience. Yeah. I've written, <laughs> I've written a few and, okay. and I wrote some eBooks as well. And, and I, it's, it's like, I've been in, I've been on the, on the internet for a long time and, what I what you have is if you have the privilege of someone reading your work, which is nice. I actually just joined Substack recently because I, I had an old blog from a very long time ago, and Substack has this weird network effect where yes, you're just joining, and then all of a sudden people follow you, and you're like, "Who the hell are you?" and "Where did you come from?" But they just follow you. Mm-hmm. Isn't that great? Okay, awesome. Okay, so so there is this ability to influence people at a distance, and I believed at that time that my ability to influence people at a distance like that's what I liked Mm. and that I didn't like the idea of influencing people directly I, I felt that I was good on stage because like when you write people when you write books and people read them they invite you to do talks right so that was like a part of what I did but then I discovered I had the right idea, which was the idea for breather that did take off and it really did take on a life of its own. And then I was forced to be directly influential, Mm. right, to be literally in front of a bunch of people that I employed, and to be able to uh, motivate them, which I hope I was able to be successful at sometimes. And so the idea forced me into a position to grow my capabilities that I didn't think that I had. I had a certain boundaries, but I wanted, you know, back to this whole art thing that I was watching yesterday. The two artists were oh, Woody D'Othello, uh, artist from Oakland who does these really cool works. And another one was a Canadian artist called Varys, they're like 25, Tao Mills, I want to say, who's another successful artist. And they were talking about how, um, being able to be at a place where they could engage an assistant, which is really hard mm. for an artist to do, right? And I never really understood. You know, you, you you look at successful artists, and and you know that they have assistants, and you're like, what the hell? Like, how does yeah. that work? Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. And what I realized, and they they portrayed it very clearly by saying, it's when your ideas there there are too many of them for the amount of work that you can personally do. Aha. Mm. Uh-huh. Okay. And so I discovered that to influence people directly, and to be able to take an active relationship with them to work with them to be there, they're your customer or, or you work with them, and they're part of your team. Those things are actually way higher leverage. Mm so I discovered that I like both. I guess I was challenged by the type of, I, the, the book that I'm, I'm seeing later today in the print version is a book called flinch. And the book is really short and it went super viral. And the challenge of the book, it's super short is you have a set of things you want to do. Why don't you do them?
2: Hmm.
1: All right. It's like kind of a powerful idea and it hit a lot of people and it is, it was spread really widely. It was one of the only books on Amazon that was perpetually free because a mentor of mine, Seth Godin, who edited it, I think talked like Jeff Bezos or something. This was a long time ago. This was like 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. And the intent, the idea was the art should be free. Right. So I was challenged and I was like, well, fuck, I just wrote a book about challenging myself and, and I don't know really how to run a business. And I was, I was scared and I was, you know, someone at the, at the time, I remember sending an email to my buddy, Greg Eisenberg being like, I don't know how to raise 200 K. Like, I don't know how to do that. Like, I don't have any friends with money. I always love this idea of this thing called a friends and family round. Like,
0: Right. Friends
1: and family <laughs> round that like, where are these friends? My that friends people won't have? even,
0: they won't bring a bottle of wine to dinner. They're not going to give but me yes, $100,000. They, do. don't, don't, for- they,
1: they could listen to this. Don't, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> they would bring a wine to dinner. But it's <laughs> it the idea that that it would be easy to rent, raise a friends and family round. Like, first of all, it, this was in 20, 2012 that I was feeling this. In 2023, they would call that privileged. Right, and <laughs> we so we have the words then. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I remember feeling very threatened, but I had just written a book saying, "Why don't you do things that you say you want to do?" Mm. So I was, I was forced to confront it because I had just written that book, and people were be like, "Wow, this helped me," you know. And I was mm-hmm. like, "Well, I should help myself," <laughs> you know. There, there was this need to, to, uh, uh, to call myself out and to turn into the person that I, I guess I. I became mm.
0: it sounds as as you were kind of talking about that experience it sounds like less of a a, a, a venn diagram like here's two very separate things and more like those experiences are kind of inextricable from each other because one led to another and it's a- almost like cyclical in a way it sounds
1: matt mokery who's a famous uh, sort of silicon valley ceo coach wrote a book called The Great CEO Within. Mm. It was like a Google Doc for a while that people spread around. And then eventually it became a book. And in that book, he calls the, the space is, is called like the zone of genius. Mm. And I challenge my clients and I try to find when I'm like, you know, interviewing someone or something about like what their zone of genius is. I think ultimately there's just lots of different ways in which I've been able to take ideas that are maybe somewhat complicated and translate them into something that people believe them. Mm -hmm. Like that's a, that's like a skill, I guess, that I didn't really realize that I had, but that I've done enough times that I have been able to prove to myself that it's not a fluke. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so, so, so if that's the zone of genius and, and, it's not to say I'm a genius, but more like where am I best? That's the real question. Where am I best? And if that's the case, then you should apply it for the in the highest leverage places where you can, hmm. right? Not like limit yourself. And so I think that that was a part of it. Writing is very effective. You can leverage writing. And I was reading a book by Robert Chalmers, uh, Chambers recently. It came out in eighteen ninety-five. A, a funny situation where he 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 published, like, 50 sci-fi books. But he's oh only gosh. remembered for one. And so, like, he's dead now, so he doesn't care, right? But, yeah. but, like, thinking back on that career, and it's just, like, he wrote 50 sci-fi stories, and only one of them is, like, still in print, practically. Mm. That's a crazy idea, that you might do all this work and that only one thing might matter.
0: I think that's kind of the challenge we... All face. I mean, not to get too too meta here, but it's, you know, when we think about our careers and what's right and where we should move next, it's inevitably we think about that, um, what people will think when we're gone, which is so silly Mm because what what does it matter? Yeah.
1: How did you know that it was the right time for you to go the direction you, you went?
0: Right. It's just... It's intrinsic. I think I look at decision making frameworks, and you know, everybody scan medium, and it's like, here's how to make this major decision in your life. It's like, (laughs) well, it just comes down to your gut. Mm -hmm. Julian building companies is very difficult, and it is not for everybody. I think often folks think if you're an idea person, you're just you're just waiting for the right idea to strike, and then anybody could could build a company, but. Well, it's true that anybody could. It's not true that everybody delights in it. And I think if you do it more than once, you probably delight in it. So I'd love to hear your take on what are the best parts? What do you enjoy about that process?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Most of the most of my friends who have been successful at uh, raising a bunch of money, scaling a thing, a friend of mine that comes to mind at the moment is Michael Karn, who started Skillshare, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Skillshare yeah. of YouTube fame. Why YouTube? because they sponsor every YouTube video. And so he was like, why are you doing this again? Because you're you're doing it and it's quite difficult and it's so much stress and like all these things. It would have been very easy to keep writing books, for example, versus like Mm -hmm. figuring out how to raise money and hire people, which I'd never really done and all these other challenges. In my case, I was so compelled by the raw capabilities of the highest value people that I worked with at breather. Mm. I was like, what happens when you hire it? it, it, I think at the height of it, there were like 250 something employees, like a fair, a good number. It's not Mm -hmm. like a, it's not Netflix, but it's like, it's getting up there. So what happens is you're like, oh my God, like some of these people are so unbelievably talented. I found that doing hard things was really challenging, it's more challenging and more rewarding than writing a book, which often you feel like you're writing kind of the same stuff again and again. Mm. And at the level of complexity, it is challenging, by the way, to distill complex ideas into simple principles and then write about them and then write about them in a compelling way. Like that's a hard thing too. But there's something about being able to, like, there are people that, I have worked with that I would, I I feel like today I would always work with. Mm. I was just like, I, like I have, I've got to work with this person again in some capacity because the talent is there. And what happens in venture. And and what I mean is, is when people invest in companies, right? It's like it's a place that Facebook and Airbnb came from and Uber came from and Google came from Mm -hmm. and Apple came from actually. Right. And so, That way that people start companies creates a confluence of speed and talent Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and motivation. And there's not a lot of places, right? Like if you were going to take, if you, if you turn it, if you look to nonprofits, you're going to get motivation. And you're probably going to get talent. But are you going to get speed? No. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So there's not a lot of places where that happens. And tech happens so fast. (laughs) And, and, and so I don't know, I just felt that it was one of the highest leverage places that I could be. Mm. And that it that it's back to this whole thing about like, you serve one person, if you're going to serve one person really deeply, like that's super interesting. But also, it is very compelling. Like, I think at the height of it, yeah, maybe like millions of people have used Breather in big cities, and I find people that have had that have been really meaningfully affected by it. It, it turned into like a brand,
2: mm-hmm. and it
1: happened kind of under my nose because I'm in Canada. I don't really pay it, I don't really pay yes. that much attention to it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but in New York, in San Francisco, in Los Angeles, in London, like all it like all these these people knew about it. So it, the the power and the speed at which that happened is just like, oh wow, you know? Right. So it's it's hard to do something else after that.
0: It is. And I think once you identify the the space that gives you the most energy, the kind of work that gives you the most energy, that is such a huge unlock in our professional lives. I think I mean jobs are jobs are wrought with a lot of a lot of conflict and you know, it's hard It's hard for most people, I would say, professionally to allow themselves to think about like, well, what do I actually want? And what brings yeah. me energy? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do I enjoy working on? Just because of our, our relationship with with work. I find it really inspiring that the reason you keep building is because that's just the space where you feel the most energy. And it sounds like where you do your best work. So
1: from, from all of the people that you've spoken to
0: mm.
1: on podcast and off. Uh, what is the theme of those that have made it work? Like, like what was, for me, I would just say mine, I would say like work ethic is just like so important, just sticking. But when you talk to so many people, like, what do you get? What, what, what is the, the principle, what are the principles that you, you get out of them?
0: Hmm. I. I honestly think there's just one very clear through line among all founders or folks Mm. who build things, which is they're there to build. They're not Mm. there to accomplish. And you think about folks who throw in the towel or who do it once and are like, that was not for me. It's because they were surprised by this environment where you thought it was going to be a series of win after win after win, and you'd be able to celebrate those wins. And of course you expect losses too, but the reality of founding a company and building something is you kind of barely notice the wins because you're always thinking about the next thing. <laughs> you're just you are on the treadmill. Yeah. You're mm. not going for a run from point A to point B, right? Mm. And you have to like being on the treadmill. And if if you don't, you're you're not gonna come back and do it again.
1: Yeah. I, I agree with that. It's one of the reasons that i always advise people that starting a company has got to be in a wheelhouse of something you really care about mm. and there's probably not a lot of those right there's probably not a lot of things that your your word through line i think is very strong that the, the number of through lines in your life what are there like five mm. maybe right? Yeah. Like I can think of only a few things that I was excited about at the age of 10 that I'm still excited about 25 (laughs) years later, right? There's not that many. So people change, etc, etc, etc. But also people stay the same. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: so it's you've got to find places where you do that. There are other people like people that come out of Y Combinator. I I always, the the example I always use is Jack uh, Altman, who started Mm -hmm. Lattice. He started a company and it made Uh, performance review software and so i was like i think he talked about it pretty openly he was like you i did not start excited about performance review software (laughs) right yeah but you know he ultimately became excited about it so there are people like that right and i think lots of freelancers lots of businesses of one they're just like well i i don't fit into this space and here are the things that i can't do and i can't this is just like because because my first my first books were really like directed at freelancers, mm. right trust agents was directed at freelancers where it was like here's how to build an audience online and 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 here's why that's good and uh you fed it was a lot of people that were just did not fit inside the box that they had been presented with, and they're just like, no, 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 and they resisted it, and they had to go out and they had to make their way,
0: yeah. You talked a little bit about one of the great joys of, of building a company is just being able to work with incredible talent that knocks your socks off. And you've had a front row seat to several other companies as, as they've been built across different industries. Mm-hmm. And our thing here is hiring, building teams, how people think about that. So I'm curious, what are the challenges that you've seen that have been similar regardless of, of industry.
1: I will say that there, that the top people always have a certain set of qualities and that I've become very principled about hiring. Mm. Like I, you know, it just, it happens over time. Like you, you have to, you have to fire a certain number of people to get to like 300 people that you've hired or whatever the number is that I've hired. Right. It's more than that, but it's like, you have to get, there's a certain amount that's not going to work out. And so. I remember doing it on instinct. There were several mistakes that happened. And one of them was just like asking rando questions, which I think everybody goes through that phase of like, yes. I'm just going to ask stupid shit.
0: Right. I'll just know when I know. I'll, get I'll the know feeling. when I
1: know. No, you won't.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you will not. Uh, and so that's it's a question of I'm going to uh, ask random questions and I'll know when I know. Do not do that for a lot of reasons. Second, one of the biggest mistakes is people do not source enough people. It's Mm. so common. Here are the people that I know. I know like three people. I'm going to get three candidates. I'm going to hire among them. No. (laughs) Talk to like 20, one of the the best, uh, I mean, most highest performing clients that I have. Yeah. Is uh, he, he was like, I want to was it a CFO? No. Maybe a head of finance, maybe something like that, like a VP of finance. And they uh, interviewed, not even the process not even the process of interviewing for candidates, but what uh, we would call informational interviewing, mm-hmm. right? Going to discover so you could learn about the industry and what a good person is like. They interviewed 25 VP of finances, just wow. talking to them and this person is in, is very high performing by the mm. way and and what happens is is they just go the distance like for example right now like we, we have a bunch of reviews on a website G2 okay lots of people know what this website they review software on it it's like you can try like a little bit and get some reviews but you're going to get like 5 but like our objective internally is we're going to get to 100 which is a lot and it's very difficult to do because people have to go through this very onerous like process to be able to uh, put a review in to authenticate themselves because they have to be real people and all these other things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So like, are you going to be the type of person who's going to get five or are you going to be the person that's going to get a hundred?
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: And really to be a top 1% or top 10% entrepreneur or a CEO or whatever, you got to be the person who's going to... Talk to the 25 VP of Finances before you even interview anyone. And that is really challenging. You don't always just need to do that with legwork. Sometimes you can hire a recruiter. But I always, whenever I have an executive now, that's one of the biggest things that I say to people is like, never hire an executive on your own. Mm -hmm. Always hire the best possible recruiter. And then talk to five recruiting firms before you do it, right? so that you can get a gigantic source of people. The leverage of hiring the right person, which comes with a lot of pre-work, tons of it, ultimately results in much less Mm post-work. The post-work is is how much you have to support that executive or maybe replace them if it doesn't go the right way. So instead of doing that and just putting the work off, why don't you do it up front, and then you've hired a great recruiting firm, or you've talked to twenty-five people, or you know exactly what the candidate is is going to look like. You know, like all those things. Those are much more effective uses of your time. It really is because the CEO job is actually ultimately a human job, mm. right? You're not writing code. You're not maybe you're building product, but ultimately that gets outsourced as well. Uh, you're not selling even though you begin selling ultimately later on you do not and so it, it is ultimately a human job about managing and creating high performance and high empathy culture where people want to stick around and they want to do something really great of their own volition you can't make them do it mm-hmm. they have to be, they have to want to do it and so that's how you really get where you need to go i think
0: right it sounds like the, the key mistake you'd caution folks to avoid is not having a clear archetype of what good looks like before you go out and hire. Yeah,
1: that makes a lot of sense to me. And, and that has to come from lots of, lots of information gathering without something in your mind ahead of time. Because mm. they often, the, the amazing part of it, finding talent fundamentally is about fi- finding, also about finding talent that's mispriced, right?
0: Interesting.
1: Like the same way you would find a stock, right? Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's actually, we, I'm confident that it's going to be at $100 one day, but I'm buying in here at $10. And, and so what you want to do is you want to find um, talent that is mispriced. Because mm. all the talent that is not mispriced, they're at Facebook. Or at Google, or they're working at, they're making 500K a year at Salesforce or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they're, like, if they're not mispriced, they have been found. Mm -hmm. So your job is to find the unfound thing, right? The needle in the haystack, so to speak. So not only do you have to find people that are affordable, but you have to find one that should not be affordable, Mm. is, but should not be. And when you find them, there's one particular person I, I will not name, but it's like I convinced them to move from the Philippines. <laughs> they were actually Canadian, but they had moved to the Philippines. They were like in process of moving. And I was like, stop. <laughs> and I did convince them to not move to the Philippines. And uh, and they worked and they, become a, they became a really high-performing person in my previous company. Mm. Uh, and, and so finding that mispriced asset is so, 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 so important. One of the biggest things is just how much energy do they bring? Right. There's a very, there's a very good book about this called, um, hiring with your head that is almost like checklist kind of hiring. There's another Mm -hmm. type book called, which is very famous in, in sort of tech, which is called why, W-H-Y. Why? Oh, excuse me. No, it's called, that's wrong. It's called who. It's called (laughs) who, not why.
0: Just H- one letter oh. off.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was there, <laughs> almost there. Uh, and and so this book is about processes of hiring and things like that. But Hire with Your Head is the one that I really draw from. It's written by recruiters, and the thing they really talk about is if you do not have energy, you have a dud. That's mm-hmm. it. If you don't feel it, and it's especially true when you run a remote company, which I do today. If you don't, if you don't feel the energy through the Zoom call, right? Like today, Faith, right, right this moment maybe not in minute one, but by Mm -hmm. now you feel my energy through the call. Right. Right. And if you do not feel the energy through the call, there is none.
0: What a good litmus test. Right. Because I think (laughs) you, you mentioned at one point during this call, you know, part of the challenge, one of the many challenges of, of leading people is like, you know, who is who's underperforming, but but we still believe in them. How do we gauge that? And energy is such a critical line on that rubric mm-hmm. that I think we often overlook, particularly in remote companies. So
1: I mean, how can you know? Right. Right. You have no idea. It's like I, I could have another laptop here. I'm it's like, I'm going to my other job on the side after this one Some so file. it's it, like remote remote <laughs> hiring is crazy and, yeah. but i really like the thing that i really do like about it is i like the idea that i can hire someone from anywhere finding quote-unquote underpriced talent mispriced talent is really about finding undiscovered gems that haven't been given a shot yet mm. and back to this whole thing of this independent spirit breather serving freelancers practice serving businesses of one right like I feel the same way about my teammates. I like I want to give them their shot. I want to give them their ability to do the best work of their lives, right? I want to give them that space. And so I try to I, I try really hard to find people like them.
0: It's hard work, um, and mm-hmm. and good on you for for believing in recruiters for that role. I think it takes to, it took me a long time to be like you know I I can trust somebody else with this, especially when it's something you care so much about and you truly believe like. No, I know better than anybody who's best for my team. Um, Taking that leap to...
1: I think having a recruiter is really just about seeing more people. Mm. First of all, it's very clear to me now that like you should never, ever, ever just have three people that you're interviewing. But (laughs) but the first time that you're a CEO and you hire a person, right? Like this artist that we spoke about that just hired their first assistant, they maybe thought, oh, I can hire, I can interview three people. Mm. But that's actually like, if you... Or if you are a CEO and you've done it enough, you actually know that that's just straight up wrong and bad.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: By definition, just the more conversations you have, the more you get an understanding of what good is. Mm -hmm. Because when you talk to three people, you're like, that's the best person. This This is the top of the three.
0: Right. It's a false choice.
1: Right. And so what you really want is you want the top of the 10. And actually, the 10 were sourced and handed to you. After you had three hours of conversation with people, in in my case, it, it of course, at this stage, it is easier. It's not easy when you don't have a network, but it was like, I went to Andreessen Horowitz, which is, I, I was not able to uh, have invest in my for, last company, but I was this time. It's like considered one of the best Silicon Valley kind of venture investors that exist. And they're like, I'm like, they have a recruiting arm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So great. Like, I need to meet a recruiting firm. They're like, great. Here are the five that we think that you should talk to. Amazing. Focused on A, B, C, D, E. And and, then I had my own that I had known. And I spoke to entrepreneurs. So I had like eight recruiting firms or something. Now it's like, talk to each of them. And once again, you're interviewing them. What matters? Lots of different things. But once again, energy, like we just said, right? So the the person that ultimately got the deal and that hired a great candidate that has been in the business, I want to say for eight months today now.
2: Mm.
1: That person calls me. They're like, Hi, I might like my daughter's wedding. Not like that, but like mm. something like that. And but I just need to get on the phone with you right now. I just want to let you know I want this, we're gonna work hard. Right. And they're quite tightly connected and like early roles and things like that. So now you're like, okay, great. And now they with the high energy are gonna go out and find other high energy people.
2: Mm, Yeah.
1: Right. So it multiplies. Right. It's like a force multiplier on itself or it degrades. Mm -hmm. And you just have to ensure that you get the force multipliers and stuff.
0: And, you know, like attracts like. And so if you can, if you continuously add to your, your network or team folks who are, you know, the the standard for what you want your team to ultimately look like, that's like you said, a force multiplier. So. Julian, this has been such a fun conversation. I feel like I learned so much, and there are so many, so many one liners. I can see how your books (laughs) took off because so many, so many one liners that I'm like, we need to put that on a t shirt. TikTok. (laughs) TikTok. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, So if folks want to get in touch with you, um, learn Mm -hmm. more about you, learn more about practice, where should we send them?
1: Yeah, you can go to practice.do. We serve all kinds of solopreneurs. Uh, Check us out. We do cool stuff. And we work hard, actually. Uh, So says G2 and Captera and all the other sites. And we do because we care a lot. I have been working on a lot of stuff on the internet over a long period of time. Uh, The book Flinch, which has been out for a long time and people read a lot, is coming out in print edition. And you can look it up. Uh, you think it should be probably uh, pre-orderable on Amazon uh, for the first time ever in print form in the next like week or couple of weeks, which will be very exciting. Awesome. And yeah, just out there, reach out, Twitter, Substack, whatever. Let's chat. It'll be great.
0: I'm gonna follow. I'll recommend your Substack on my Substack, and we'll get this uh, <laughs> we'll you. get this referral engine running. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, powered by Gun.io. We drop two episodes per week. So if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and come hang out with us again next week and bring all your internet friends. If you have questions or recommendations, just shoot us a Twitter DM at the Frontier Pod and we'll see you next week.